Welcome to the Alia Graphic Podcast. Uh, today we have a really exciting creator chat with one of my favorite comic creators in Australia. I'm Georgi Rutia and I'm the convener for the Alia Graphic Novels and Comics Group. This wonderful group of volunteers who love comics and libraries. Um, before we get started with our special guest, as a national group based across the land we call Australia, we would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This was and always will be Aboriginal land. And I personally would like to specifically acknowledge the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the custodians of the land from where I'm speaking. And I pay respect to the elders past and present of all First Nation people across the land. Now, our guest today is Chris Gooch who's recently published his third graphic novel with Top Shelf uh, and one anthology that he had mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And since he really needs no introduction, I'll stop right there. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. How are uh, you going? Yeah, good, good. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. All right. So uh, obviously your partnership continues with Top Shelf. Yeah. Uh, what? This is the fourth book yeah you're right three graphic novels and a short story collection um yeah this one's going to be bigger than the others like it's going to be like american comic book sized um printing format which i'm excited for but otherwise yeah similar stuff okay i didn't know that that that's actually interesting so yeah i wanted um because it's more genre-y and 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 a bit tighter and and well it's a similar length to some of them but it, it i don't know i really wanted to try and do sort of something a bit more like mainstream american comics um just to try and have fun with uh, that i don't know dipping my toes into that and experimenting with that so i used the the standard page dimensions and the yeah the book's gonna be printed at about that size i think it's either a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller but about that yeah american size that's awesome because um well obviously i i've already read it but i read a digital version of it so i didn't know the size that's um that's really cool i look forward to to seeing it as well yeah excellent um so we'll obviously talk about in utero um but um i want to talk uh a little bit first about one of the things that you uh, that you do a lot, actually, in the internet, and I really love in your social media, is that you share a lot of your process. Yeah, um, I like don't like doing the social media stuff very much, as I'm sure most people do. Um, and the thing that I most enjoy is, yeah, posting things as I go. That's what I like seeing from other artists, and and what I want to post myself. So by doing that, I make it a bit easier and try and motivate myself. But yeah, I, I like to post um, pages that are, that are um, you know, halfway done or in the middle and, and show the progression of them, them coming to, to fruition. And then I haven't done it so much recently, but I do really love posting like seven, because I always make like seven or 12 different versions that are almost indistinguishable and they just have one tiny change that doesn't matter to anybody else. But I get stuck on like picking between them. Yep. Um, so I'll post like that and be like, Hey, which one, which one works? And 
sometimes I like follow what people say, but most of the time it's that thing where like, as soon as someone says like, oh, it's that one, you immediately know, no, it's number three. Like that's like, you just need that like push to, to like have that gut feeling of like, oh no, it was the one that I thought it was the, the whole time, but I wasn't yeah. confident. Well, it's pretty impressive that you do like all these different versions of all these things and, you know, you, you get stuck with those things, but you still finish things. Yeah. Yeah. That's because I, I ran out of patience and say, like, this is good enough. Like, you know, there's that point where you're really into it and you're like, oh, especially digital because I'm using the iPad now. Like you make like five different files. Like I just duplicate the file and then I'll like change a little bit here. And then after a while, I'll be like, I can't do this anymore. I'll delete, you know, all except one and then mm -hmm. like move on. Because otherwise, yeah, I just never get anything done. Yeah, because that's one of the things that uh, Tolkien uh, was famous for. He would rewrite and rewrite things because he was never completely happy with his writing. And he would rewrite and rewrite. And that's why, you know, he didn't publish very much in life because he was constantly rewriting things, you know. And he got yeah. lost in that. Yeah, I mean, he's a genius is a big word, but yeah, it's hard not to think of him as a genius, or at least like just amazing. But um, yeah, yeah, I have the exact opposite approach in my work. I just like you know, he spent how long was Lord of the Rings? It was like twenty years or something? All this like world building and something. This big gap between the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, yeah. working on the masterpiece, and I just would rather put out four or five things that are not as yeah. good as the one thing I would have done in that, in that 10 year period. Um, just cause I don't know, it's better to have more stuff out in some ways. I think like, I just yeah, want to make, yeah. I don't want to get stuck in my room, just working on that one thing that might not ever get finished. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the Lord of the Rings, but um, yeah, you're right. It took him, I think it was 13 years. 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, my favorite book from Tolkien is The Silmarillion, and that's actually what he started writing first when he was right, actually yeah. in the trenches of World War I. Um, and, you know, he died, uh, and he was still in the last few months of his life, he was starting to rewrite it. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy man. Now, from memory, you used to draw everything um with pencil and paper and then yeah, you have to digitize and yeah. and then um do your final work digitally is that still your process no everything's well i'll thumbnail on printer paper just because it's like faster and easier and i want to be able to spread the pages out in front of me but i have gone full digital with the ipad just because i don't know just moving a bunch And I needed, it was just like packing up boxes and boxes of stuff. Mm. I needed the convenience and the technology had hit a point where um, the artwork I was making in utero, like by the time I digitized it and got it to look the way I wanted it to look, like that was, I could replicate that with the iPad, with the, the brushes I was using. And then with, with Under Earth, I was, like layering half tones, like digital half tones, and then color on top of it. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think hopefully there's no discernible difference. And I actually have this. Yes. I recognize. Yeah. So 
like for that one, that's a good example because like I would go in and digitally fill like all the X's of the other like black fills. So I'd go and do that. And then, yeah, I think if I just, if I drew that on the iPad, it probably wouldn't look that different. Um, but I've got this always here on display in the office. <laughs> just so you know. It's nice also just sitting on the couch, like being able to sit there and, and like zone out and do it as opposed to having like the big drawing desk. And yeah, although I'm sure it's horrible for my posture, but the iPad is, is nice like that. Yeah. So you do everything on the iPad. Is it on Procreate? Yeah, Procreate. And then I, for in utero, I prepped all the files in Photoshop. So I would do all the um, frames in Photoshop, do the text, send it to Procreate, and then send, and then color it and half tone it in Procreate and then send it back for um, lettering in Photoshop. But I've recently, I'm trying to ditch Adobe. So I'm, I've done a, like a short story just over the holidays for myself. And, yeah. and I'm trying to use Clip Studio Paint, which is like a good program, but God, these things are annoying to learn. Like, like <laughs> Photoshop was so annoying to learn all the, the shortcuts and like, yeah. And now I'm starting again with, with Studio, but, you know, at least it's not 40 bucks a month. Yeah. And also, Adobe's horrible with the AI stuff. Yeah, my son's son's 12, and he's starting to Mm. make some comics. Um, He loves loves comics and drawing in general, and he's starting to make some comics. And he's doing everything with pencil, you know, and then has to ink it and and things like that. But um, we've got an iPad at home, and I got Procreate for him, and... And he's just starting to play a little bit with it. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, learning all the tricks and all the workflows and all that. Um, yeah. Um, mm. Takes time. There's a big, yeah. I think there's a big trap with digital. Like, I'm doing this because that's my the pinch and zoom or whatever on Procreate or even if you're using a Cintiq where, you know, you can go in and you end up getting stuck, like, redrawing this hand, this tiny little part, like, um, whereas pen and paper, like you can't zoom in, you can't erase over and over again. You'll destroy the paper. Like yeah. I'm very grateful and glad that I learned with pen and paper. Like that would be my favorite way. To, it, it forces you to do the thing and move on before you destroy the the paper by erasing it too much. Good advice. Good yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> now um, you started making zines actually, um, and your first graphic novel was published. Top Shelf, great international publisher. Uh, you just published your third graphic novel with them. Now, I, I've been saying for a long time, Chris Gooch, young emerging uh, creator, but you know, I, I think I should stop saying that. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm getting old. Yeah, <laughs> you're now a seasoned creator, seasoned creator. You know, um, uh, what advice do you have for young creators? You know, you just given us one, but you know, what, what advice do you have for young creators who are starting, who are making their own little mini comics and zines, and you know, um, definitely for anybody in in Australia, I'd say like, like make stuff, self publish it, go to the zine fairs. Um, most major cities have something, and if not, you know trade with friends, post online. Um, yeah, make stuff small, make stuff crappy. Like, 
I'd just be repeating, you know, the advice that's been important to me when I started making stuff, but like, you're never going to make the sci-fi epic that's in your head when you're like just starting like that's mm-hmm. yeah. If you, if you go straight to that, you'll never finish it. And maybe you know, like I, I did that and I never got more than three pages in or whatever. It's just, you do something short and crappy and then you build and you build and you build by the time you get to, well, my experience was by the time I got to wanting to do a, a longer piece, I look back and think about that sci-fi epic or that masterpiece you had in your head and be like wow that's like that's crap i'm glad i didn't do 10 years of of that um yeah and then i mean there's a whole other world of like webtoons and stuff that i am totally out of sync with but yep that i mean that stuff's popular like um you have an international readership as well yeah there's a oh god i'm blanking on the name but there's a an Australian duo who are doing one on Webtoon that looks really cool that I've read a little bit of. Mm-hmm. Maybe cut that. If I can't remember the name, there's no point saying it. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Definitely don't don't be a traditionalist and don't shy away from these new mediums or anything just because, like, they're not what you grew up reading. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, and I... Uh, uh, I actually made that mistake as well because I kind of, when I was young and started kind of making some comics, I hate my drawings, by the way. I'm, I've never been very good, but they're very cartoonish. And um, and um, I made the mistake of having this idea for uh, a huge uh, story uh, that was a parody of Superman uh, mixed a little bit with a kind of anti-hero kind of thing. And it was going to be super gore man. And yeah. So it's a superhero who wants to be a hero and wants to be loved by people and do the right thing, but who always thinks that, you know, superheroes should just crash the enemy and gore them <laughs> <laughs> and gets lost in the fights and, you know, gores them. And then because of that, people hate him. Um, you know, and then he has to essentially go in this journey to learn how to be actually a hero and it was very humorous very kind of actually a little bit like akira toriyama gag manga kind of thing as well but mixed with superhero stuff uh but yeah i had like this huge story and you're right i just made the first few pages and then it was like this is too big (laughs) you know (laughs) i don't know how to continue this um yeah and now actually my son has to start drawing a little bit of super common so that will be oh, that's cool. I like that intergenerational. Yeah, yeah. So we actually worked out the first chapter together, and we wrote a script. And uh, oh, that's awesome! And he's um, he's growing it. So yeah, it's, it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. But anyway, um, what was the origin story of In Utero? Uh, did the story come fully formed, or did it start with just an idea? character an image because you know sometimes they come fully formed but sometimes it's just a character that interests us and um for this one it had a few starts and stops like as an idea it was it started as like i was like oh what what would i want to do if i was allowed to do like a godzilla comic book or movie or whatever and i moved away from that very quickly but um like monster befriending uh, a um a kid in a shopping mall was sort of 
Like that was the start of it. Yeah. And then I started drawing it in 2020 when I went to, I was a bit lost after my, after in Under Earth came out um, and, you know, stuck in, I think I was doing call center work back then. Just like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, so I went and did an honors in creative writing okay. and uh, what they, I did that because they, the program was you could do a, like a creative work alongside of a thesis. So my creative work was the first draft of In Utero. Um, and then I wrote like a 10,000 word essay about like making it and um, specifically two different academic horror theories and how they um, contributed to it. And then I had to write an element of like, like what is uh, unique about horror in comics and, and stuff. So that was the start of it in 2020. And that was, you know, a, a weird year for everybody. But um, yeah, I spent a lot of time just in lockdowns and inside drawing and thinking about it and writing this essay. And then as soon as I finished, I got to move on to the second draft and it like doubled and then tripled in size. And, and um, yeah, from, from then I just started drawing and writing it. That's really cool what you said about the owners. Uh, so I'm going, I'm following that thread now. So uh, what is unique uh, um, with horror in comics? I'm not, oh. you know, <laughs> not, well, not 10,000 words, but, you know, in summary. <laughs> I think, yeah, the, the disclaimer for this is like, yeah. for academic essays, the ones that I was writing, it's like, you make the argument, but you don't necessarily believe in it. Like it's just, it's an interesting idea and you make a case for it. Yeah. But um, I think I was referencing Scott McLeod stuff, the idea that like, um, like the reader will animate and personalize their experience of the different monsters within the horror comic. Um, like I really love just that example. He has an understanding comics of like, you know, the ax murderer, like one panel of the ax murderer and they're like going to attack and the next one is like a cutaway and it's just the scream and the idea that like um, the the image that the reader has in their head of someone getting like chopped in the head is more engaging and thrilling and graphic than whatever you would draw in that actual panel. Um, and also specifically within in utero, so it's two monsters that are like, like they're of equal size because they do a fight at the end. Um, but they are designed to like grow, change and move very differently. So um, talking about like the personal relationship and the back and forth the reader has with a comic book, the idea that the essay was putting forward was partly, you know, the reader animates the way these characters move and feel and blah, 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 in their mind, between the frames, mm. in a way that's personal to them. Um, yeah. Whether or not you think that's a lot of wank, I think, uh, I can see either way, like, but that was the argument at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well when I was young, uh, I, I read so many horror uh, comics, actually. I um, In Spain, we had... Um, I think it may have been published in the US as well, but in Spain we had a magazine called Creepy. And I think, yeah, I know yeah. that one. 
And it was all horror comics, you know, and they had lots of great stuff, um, a lot of Bernie Wrights and stuff, obviously, but uh, lots of different creators and a lot of Spanish creators as well. And um, I I loved that because, you know, I could see, um, yes, you can see ink on paper, but then, you know, just imagining all those different uh, creatures and monsters. And I, I definitely had lots of vivid uh, dreams about them love them yeah i, I want to pick up the other thread as well that you said um about monsters and you mentioned uh you know uh thinking of you know godzilla or things like that and the relationship uh between a monster and a kid um and i would like to know what are maybe some of your favorite monsters in um comics and films you know and in films um and for example, I love Godzilla. Yes. And the recent movie was actually really good. I really loved it, the, the Japanese one. Um, but I have to say that the Gamera trilogy of films from the 90s, I absolutely, absolutely love. And actually, in those films, there is that kind of a similar theme as well with a young girl and, the, and her relationship with Godzilla, uh, uh, with Gamera, sorry. Um, which I thought was really, really interesting as well. So um, I really love those that trilogy. And if you haven't seen them, I highly recommend them. I yeah, that's I'll have to watch those. That sounds cool. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, if you want to talk uh, about you know any of your favorites, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I think probably all Japanese would be my my go to. I'm not so much of a kaiju person. Like I loved Shin Godzilla. The um, Arno movie from 2016, 2015, whatever. That's amazing. Uh, I was not a fan of Godzilla Minus One. Like, I really, like, all the Godzilla scenes in that movie are, like, 10 out of 10, and then everything else in between, for me, felt like a a daytime TV movie. But uh, the fact that it's, like, gaining traction and and it's doing so well, like, internationally is, is great. Like, I hope they make, like ambitious high quality Godzilla movies forever. Um yeah. but in terms of the monsters I love, I definitely love um the Miyazaki stuff. So like just the way he illustrates and draws monsters. So two examples would be the spirited away, the like mm. um the water spirit where like when it's in the bath and it's just spitting out all that garbage is so amazing. And then the start of Princess Mononoke, the infected boar with all the the bits coming off. But for this book, because I was like, I want to do a genre thing. I was like, I'm going to like sit down and reread and and, like have a look at the the stuff that I want to reference and draw from specifically. And that was um, the original Digimon movie, um, which the first, I think it was a pilot basically, like a 50-minute pilot they did, and it's directed by Mamoru Hosada, I think, and he did, like, Summer Wars and stuff. And that, it's like a weird mix of, like, E.T., where they find the Digimon in their bedroom and, like, have an E.T. relationship, and then it becomes, like, this Godzilla monster and has a big fight in the middle of the city, but it's just, most of it's just kids dicking around in the city with the monster and having fun. And then I also love Domu, the um, Osamo Oh, Tom- yes. Okay. Um, Otomo, uh, 
graphic novel, which I think is pre-Akira, but... It is, like, it is, it is, and it's actually amazing. my favorite Otomo. Yeah, Akira, amazing, ambitious, maybe gets lost in the weeds at points. Domo is, like, concise, it's, like, yeah, it's so good. So disturbing, too, like, I really... Yes. As a teenager, I just, like, I loved it. I never felt, like, just, like gripped and viscerated or repulsed and traumatized by like a like a safe traumatized you know light mm. use of the word um by reading this book that i know i probably shouldn't be reading because i was a bit young or whatever but yeah 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 I, I, yeah i had a similar experience because i think i must have been probably about 15 when i read it it's, at, um, it's my public library <laughs> yeah mine too um yeah. I think it's out of print. I hope that they, they're going to, I guess they'll bring it back with the masterworks they're doing, but that. It's out of print in English, definitely. Yeah. And I have the Spanish edition. Uh, I have the Spanish edition um, here. And uh, yeah, it's it's my favorite Otomo. And you're right. It, it, it's, um, it's before Akira. And in my view, you can see some elements. Like he, he was already toying with some ideas and you can see elements of Akira there, but it's just so much more focused and yep. it's it's like a punch in the face. It's just amazing. It's so powerful. Yeah. Did you see, I think it was a Swedish film that came out last year that was basically just like an adaptation of Domu. Um really? Yeah. Maybe I'll quickly find it. It's it was it was pretty good. I think it was called The Innocence or something. I'm gonna have to follow that up. Absolutely. It was like Okay. Uh, yeah. Da, da, da. Yeah. During a bright Nordic summer, a group of children revealed their dark, mysterious powers when the adults aren't looking. Supernatural thriller. Playtime takes a dangerous turn. It's. I mean, it's just a. It's. I. I don't know how they got away with not paying for Domu, but like, yeah. they take a lot from it. Yeah. It's, it's right. A good film too. Like, um, would recommend. Even has like all the you know the image of like of the girls sitting on the swing, yeah. Like they use that. It's yeah, classic. Wow. Okay. No, I need. I really need to follow that up. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Otomo actually because he uh, he was on uh, in in my notes as well. Yeah, I love love. It. Uh, so it seemed so obviously Otomo was a bit of a source of inspiration. Um, so could you talk about any? other influences or sources of inspiration yeah uh for sure i think yeah. i probably bought the what 35th anniversary box set around the time i started drawing yeah. um so definitely like i was like looking at the way that he draws explosions and and like buildings disintegrating and stuff and he's i mean he's just kind of like the gold standard for like like violence in a lot of ways like i just love the way that mm. Like, like volume three of Akira is just, it's just an action sequence for like 300 pages. And like, obviously you need other stuff to balance that out. And yeah. like, it's maybe volume three is my least favorite of, of the six, but um, God, it's like, it's just amazing at it. Um, yeah. In terms of like what I specifically took from him, I mean, definitely drawing more from Domu, um, the the young girl who has a like a relationship that's sort of more more adult in the sense that like entering into a world where there's a real risk, leaving the sort of training wheels behind, mm. um, starting off as like a precocious child, 
Mm. And then you have to kind of test yourself. Like, you know, if you, if you like a lot of kids feel, and I felt as a, as a what, like a 12-year-old, that I understood the world around me and that I was more adult than maybe I was given credit for by people yeah. around me. And I could navigate the adult world. But as soon as you take a step into the the real adult world, you have to actually like stand for yourself. And and I'm now maybe I'm more talking about my book, but like it's scary and frightening and and yeah. um it's not a Disney movie where you like necessarily pull the sword from the stone and fight the dragon. It's like you want yeah. it to be a bit like screwed up and and give because it, it my book's for a younger audience. You want to give them that sort of like like oh I feel weird and gross and this is thrilling and I'm repulsed by this. So that's yeah. kind of what I'm aiming for. Yeah. Um, my son's definitely- 12. Sorry. He hasn't he hasn't read it yet, but uh, I think he'll get a lot out of it actually. How old is your son? 12. 12, yeah. There's definitely something to be said for like like that sweet spot of where they're not like where it could scare them, but it's not like mm. horrifying. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's different for every kid and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, he's, um, he's into some horror stuff and things yeah. like that. So, um, yeah. And, uh, and he's definitely at that stage where, um, uh, as you said, you know, he feels like he's a lot more grown up than mm-hmm. he's given credit for. And he's a bit frustrated with that. And, yeah, <laughs> so I, I think you'll get a, quite a bit out of it, yeah. And actually, uh, now that you mentioned that, it's interesting because I don't know if a Spielberg is someone you like or, you know, but I, I, I found that uh, I found that in in the comic, uh, you know, a lot of the adults are kind of, they, they, they seem a little bit lost, like they don't really know what they're doing. Oh, you're idiots, yeah. It's, it seems like, you know, uh, where the kids have it more together, you know, uh, mm. and the perspective the perspective is very much from the kids uh, and and um, and that kind of reminded me a little bit of E.T., you know, uh, where it's like it's very much from the kids' perspective and the kids know what's right and wrong and they they, they have it together, whereas the, the adults are absolute jerks most of the time yeah so it kind of reminded me of that is that something that was in your head or not or i think i've never actually seen more than like 10 minutes of et on like free to air yeah but that digimon short is that's exactly what it is so i'm assuming that's where where it got it from and spielberg's like i don't know for 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 better or worse, completely like so influential that it filters down through a million things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do find his films kind of saccharine and repulsive at some points, like the the ones with the kids in them. And I really, like, I don't want to watch stuff like that. And I really tried to avoid, mm-hmm. avoid that with this one. But um, yeah. yeah, I my aim was to write the the kids not as children are when you're looking at them as an adult because you look at kids now and you're like you it's amazing you're alive like you run into walls and like you know like simple tasks like you spill the milk on yourself blah 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 but like I want to write children as a, as I remembered being which is that feeling of like 
why is everybody treating me like a like a child? Like I'm smart, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I part of that is just like kind of looking at adults and being like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. which I mean, they don't. And as an adult, I definitely don't. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but it was interesting that you made uh, Haley and Jen roughly the same age as well. But obviously, yeah. Jen looks older and more mature. Um, I really like how you played with the coming of age elements as well. Um, so this was obviously very important to you. Yeah, you know, um, what, what was the idea around making them kind of the same age but a little bit different and playing with that? Um. Well, in terms of uh, Haley's character, it was definitely sort of meeting someone that, like, that that feeling of being a, of being a child, and like you know, if you're a twelve year old going to high school, you feel like you're entering the adult world, um, and meeting somebody who's outside of your experience and realizing that your experience was like lucky or sheltered or privileged or whatever. Like, so Haley is like, you know, she might think she's hard done by by going to the holiday program at the shopping center. Um, and then she meets Jen, who she immediately, you know, not just, it's meant to not just be that she looks older and she does. She's meant to look like a 16 year old or 17 year old or whatever. Um, but senses that she's older. And the reason that for that is that like, she's got to fend for herself and she's had to grow up a bit, a bit faster. Um, yeah. And definitely like kids are like really different like 12 year olds the maturity level between them is is crazy like um so yeah that's what that's meant to reflect yeah yeah no that that was really interesting and that relationship and obviously i don't want to spoil the the book um you know i want people to read it but um uh you you really carried that story really really well and it's very much yes there's monster there's action uh, which you do really well always, but um, I thought I think you always balance the action with character work really, really well, and that's one of the things that I really love about you, uh, you know, and your books, and and that came through this time as well, you know. Um, so I love that. Now you've said a few times that uh, that this one is more of a genre kind of work, but to me, like I'd say, bottled was a thriller. Yeah. Uh, which to me is general work. Uh, Under Earth is a dystopian science fiction action mm. drama. Yeah. Um, and now we we have a, a horror-tinged coming-of-age monster story. So to me, it seems like you always kind of mix genre there, you know. Um uh, so, could you talk about the genres that you that that you like and and what appeals to you? Yeah, um, definitely. My relationship to genres changing as I get older. Like, I think definitely your assessment of bottle is is right. But at the time, I was like, oh, is this like this is going to be an art comic and and like my like making these long form works has been a slow move away from that idea of like I want to be a like like a Dan Klaus and instead I want to be more of like a Jeff Lemire or or Otomo or whatever like yeah um 
not that Jeff Lemire doesn't do that stuff as well, but he's like, you know, one foot firmly in the, the Swamp Thing comics that he's making and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, in terms of genre, like thriller and psychological thriller, I'm like pretty down to watch most um, most of those, regardless of quality. Um, horror. I do like horror. I watch a lot of it because my partner's super into it. Um, yeah. Like, uh, she came back from the cinema and was like, you have to watch Talk to Me. And then we watched it when it came out on streaming. And I was like, this yeah, awesome film. great movie. And then maybe my favorite movie of last year was Barbarian, if you saw that. Like, yes. Oh, that's like, that was a roller coaster. I, don't, I never want to watch that movie again. But um, that sort of, it, I, when I was a teenager, I used to watch a lot of the like super intense, um, hyper-violent Korean like horror thrillers, so like a bit yeah. of sweet life, and I saw the devil and old boy and stuff, and like I just love that feeling of like just like a movie grabbing you and not letting go, and you're just having like a panic attack for like ninety minutes in the cinema. Um, yeah, I'm taking you somewhere that uh, you never thought you know you'll go there, and it's just feels dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched yeah. an interview a while ago that was maybe just a clip on Instagram of like Samuel Jackson talking about like like ugly things in cinema or, or uh, opportunity for the audience to experience them and dabble in them in a safe space. Like, yeah. you know, I don't like everything I like to watch. Like all the people in them, I never want to meet anybody. But like, it's you know, it's thrilling and it's fun and like yeah. anyway. Yeah, that's that's the genre stuff I'm into. That, 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 that's cool. I uh, I like all that stuff as well. So <laughs> yeah, I, and I think I think what I was saying before, you, I think you balance really well actually um, having elements of those genres, but having them in a way that it's not. I don't know. Like it, it's obviously the genre, but it does feel a bit more, you know, kind of art house film kind of thing as well. You know. Definitely, my my take is like I want to do my version, and like now I'm a bit older. I'm like, well, I work I work a day job. I can do it the way I want to. Like, you know, I'm not out there chasing like um, ticket sales necessarily, or like I don't have a like a marketing team that I consult. Like, it's you know, the trade off of comics is that they're niche, but you get like a lot of freedom to do whatever you feel like. And yeah, yeah I kind of want to indulge in that. Yeah, and and as I said, you know, do, you you balance the general elements and the action really well with character and story development, and so it could work. <laughs> uh, well, I, and actually, what you were saying there, um, making comics is very labor intensive. Uh, it takes a lot of time, uh, and I know you're a pretty disciplined uh, industrious creator, <laughs> but. Um, are you taking a break or or do you already have ideas for what's coming oh, next? Or? I have pretty much completed scripts for the next two things just because what I do is I write the next one while I'm drawing the current one. So I don't start drawing a project until it's completely written. Yeah. Um, although in utero that got a bit blurry, but yeah, that's mostly how it works. So, um, you know, there's a lot, there's like years um, where I'm just just only doing drawing for this project because that's what's left to do for it. Yeah. So I'll start writing another one. So I have two 
two big projects and they're both like really long and I I quite like them, but it's like that'd be, that'd be five years of my life easily. Like, so. Mm. Like when you say long, you mean under earth long? Because that, that was quite a break. Yeah, probably. Um, one of them would be two books of about 200 to 250, 300 pages each. And the other one would hopefully get it under 300. But I, I don't know. It's hard to. Yeah. You don't really know how long it's going to be. Even though you've got the dialogue written, you know, the, the like visuals can expand and, and get yeah. bigger and bigger to try and suck the reader in very easily. Yeah. Um, so yeah. actually coming back to with that, coming back a little bit to uh, what we were talking about before um, at the start um, in terms of process. So you actually write a full script with dialogue and everything all fleshed out. Uh, I try and alternate our one method versus the other, which is like the two that I've got now, because in Udora took quite a while to draw, are both basically screenplay looking things. Mm-hmm. And they have the odd sort of like when it became too irritating to describe like a couple of panels or whatever, then I'd have a drawing. But mostly it reads like a screenplay. Um, but for example, for, for in Udora, that was very much just like I had my diary that I would write my ideas in and then I'd just do quick drafts of dialogue on like throwaway paper um, and then I go straight to thumbnails yeah. but that way of doing it it quickly gets out of hand page like page wise so like the the draft I had of under earth before the final draft was like an extra 150 pages it's just like when you're just touring it it just expands and expands and expands whereas and I find writing really unpleasant. So, like, I think it makes me be more concise. Yeah. So, uh, well, so um, just a quick run. So, Bottled, was it a full script or was it? Yes. It was a full script. Yep. Uh, Under Earth? Uh, thumbnails. Thumbnails. Straight thumbnails, yeah. And that's why it expanded and expanded. Yeah. Then- uh, interesting. And then in utero, kind of a script, but because I did the honors year, yeah, it kind of turned into both. That kind of makes it both. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Cool stuff. Well, um, so you already have two. Um, that's that's amazing. You're gonna be very busy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Have you started drawing any of them or not? No, no, it's, I'm a little bit hesitant to start because once I start, I get very fixated and I I don't know if I can just be fixated for five years. Like it's, I've, I'm older. I have to plan these large projects around my life. So uh, I probably have to sit down and think about what the next five years of my life are going to look like before I commit to doing one or both of these. Yeah, so you haven't even decided which one first. I'm pretty sure the shorter one out of, yeah, yeah, uh, convenience and necessity and stuff. Yeah. Excellent. And is it a, another genre? Yeah, it's another prison book, actually. Um, so uh, it's like a fantasy thing set sort of in a, in a fantasy version of late 1800s to early 1900s, kind of like a you know 
First World War type of conflict changing everything. Um, these like basically like European countries just eating each other and destroying themselves for nothing, like that sort of version. But yeah, like a fantasy version of that. Sounds cool. Looking forward to it in the next five years or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'll be a long time. Now, um, to finish off, I'm, uh, I'm sorry I didn't prepare you for this one, but um, uh, as we always do, can you recommend um, two or three graphic novels that, you know, maybe they could be related to In Utero um, and uh, or just something that you read recently that you think, yep, I really enjoyed that. Please read it. Whatever you like. Whatever way you sure. want to take it. I, so ones that are related to in utero, Adomu. Uh, oh, I'm blanking. What's the Junji Ito one? The Spirals? Um, Uzumaki. Yeah, Uzumaki. And uh, Mob Psycho. They're, they're probably my, like, my go-to manga to read. In terms of Excellent. graphic novels, oh, I did a big read a while ago, but I'm blanking. I've got the Dan Klaus one sitting on my nightstand, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Um, I go with those three, yeah. Excellent. Good choices, good ones. And as I said, like Domu is, uh, is my favorite Otomo. And uh, yeah, so I, I love Uzumaki as well. I haven't read most Psycho, so maybe I should get into it. I think maybe even the anime is better. It's like strangely... Like, like experimental and high budget, it's fantastic. But the manga's great as well. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for those recommendations. And thank you for joining us today. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And um, uh, everyone, please buy in utero. Mm. Or if you can't afford it, go to the library and read it. You know? Another great option, yes. Yes. And um, yeah, excellent uh, graphic novel. All the best. Uh, and I hope it's really well received. 